Our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge and confess that we are sinners. Throughout this week, we have lived in ways that are not like your Son, Jesus Christ. Our rebellion against you shows that we still are sinful and in constant need of your grace. We sometimes lie when we feel threatened. We sometimes boast when we feel insecure. We sometimes steal when we feel entitled. We're often quick to judge because we feel judged. We're honest with you because you're honest with us. You have openly told us about our sin and forgive us as we openly tell you about our sin now. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ through which we confess. Thank you that we can consistently forgive and show us grace despite our failure to live blameless lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered unto Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The scripture reading this morning is from Zechariah chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Come, come, free from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, Zion, escape, you who live in daughter Babylon, for this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye, I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah and his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Sarah. As you may know, the, the prophets, especially prophets like Zechariah, are speaking to a Israel that is in exile. And the exile is uh, 
due to their disobedience. It's to bring them greater awareness uh, of their need for God. And this passage is no different. The, the Israelites are in Babylon. Uh, they were taken in exile, and they are there in a desperate time of need. In the time of need, God reveals more of himself to us. And that revelation of himself will almost always surprise us in method and in result. When we're in a time of need, God reveals himself to us. And the method of that revelation and the result of what is coming, of what he teaches us and shows us about himself, is often going to surprise us. And I think we find ourselves in a time of need. I know that gets... Uh, repetitious, and we say that a lot. Uh, But that's what this passage is about. As strange as it seems, we have several characters here. It says there's a man, and we don't know who this man is, but it says that he has a measuring line or a ruler, a stick that that is used to measure the length of something. In verse 1 and 2, it says that this man is going to measure the city of Jerusalem. And Zechariah is having this vision. He's having this vision Or maybe it's a dream, or maybe he's actually there in his mind, but he has this revelation that is a lesson from God. And he sees this person with a line. It's this man. Where are you going? He's going to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. I think about this, and I wonder why someone would measure the length of a city, or maybe how high the gates are. They're concerned about size. They're concerned about maybe protection. They're concerned about the statistics of something. But there's another angel. There's an angel with Zechariah that's kind of walking him through this dream, and another angel shows up. So now there's four people. And the second angel says, you don't need to measure how high or how wide or how long the city is because Jerusalem will be a city without walls because the great number of people and animals in it And I myself will be a wall of fire around it. The the angel speaking for God. He's saying, you're worried about the statistics of the fence or the city limits. But it's going to be so blessed and it's going to be so great that there's not even going to be a wall to measure. And the thing that's going to protect it is the fire of God, not some man-made wall. And the glory within it is not the, the, the riches and the blessings of the city, but God himself. And that's what this angel is telling the man who's going to measure. Now, I think that the man that's measuring is perhaps, and we don't know who he is or why he's doing it, but it seems based on the answer that the angel gives the man with the measuring line, that the man is trusting in what he can see and what he can uh, put his hands on, which is bricks for protection. I think about why they might be concerned about walls and protection. They're in exile. They're worried, is God going to defend us? And the the answer that God gives, the revelation that he shows through the angel in their time of need, doesn't make any sense. Of course we need walls, God. Why would you have a wall of fire? And why why would you remove the walls that we've trusted? In the time of need, God reveals more of himself to us. He tells us about himself to help us understand. 
And that revelation that he gives us that helps us understand him is often going to surprise us in its method, tearing down our walls, and the result that it's actually going to be better for us. So the Lord says, there's this in the next section, verse 6, the Lord is speaking through the angel. And the angel says, this is what God says, come, come, flee from the land of the north. That is where they are right now in Babylon. For I've scattered you to the four winds of heaven. And there's a strange part in verse 7, if that wasn't strange enough. It says, Come Zion, escape you who live, live in the daughter of Babylon. And it, it, it starts to, there's this weird part where, the, where God is speaking, but he's also referencing himself. And that's very, very strange in the Old Testament because usually God speaks in the first person. Remember back in Genesis, I will take you out of Egypt. I will rescue you out of slavery. I will do miraculous things for you, David, for King Solomon. I will build my house. It's very active and it's first person, singular. But here he's speaking of God. God is speaking of himself in the third person, which is very, very strange. And it's passive, saying that it will be done. Not I will be done. It will be done. He's speaking about some other person, which is really, really strange. And I think you'll see why. He says, the Lord says, after he, someone who, has honored me, okay, who might that be, and has sent me against the nations, who could send God to the nations to rescue Israel? Verse 9, then I will surely raise my hand against them. My enemies, their slaves will plunder them. You will know the Almighty has sent me. How could God say that God sent him? And what's really miraculous, I think, especially reading this as a Christian, is that God is speaking about Jesus. He's saying that he is going, Jesus is going to come in the time of need, right? This is a prophecy, and I think it, re it relates to us as well. But Jesus is going to be sent by God, and yet God is referring to Jesus as himself. And I know this sounds really bizarre because the theology of the Trinity really is. And it's really bizarre for a Jewish person because they're thinking, well, God is one. God is singular. There are, there are no other gods. How could God say that he was sent? How could God say that, that there was someone else that maybe has power like him? It's very, very strange, but it gives us hope. Verse 10, shout, daughter Zion, I am coming and I will live with you. This is God speaking to Israel. Now, I wonder what the Jews are thinking in exile right now. They're thinking, yeah, yeah, God, you said that before. You said you would come live with us. You told Moses that we would have this land and you would abide with us and live with us. And look how that turned out, God. You told David that, that a house would be built and that you would live in it and the people of God would live in it. And then Solomon built that temple and it got torn down, God. It got torn down by Assyria and then it got torn down by the Babylonians. Yeah, we've heard that before, God. We heard when, 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 when you told us that when we left Egypt that you would live in a, you would live in a tabernacle that was amongst us in the desert. And all the people that left, that left Egypt in that time died, God. 
We've heard what it's like for you to live among us. We know that you're holy and that those who touch your ark die because it's holy and we're not. Maybe we don't want you to live with us anymore, God, because last time we got sent into exile. And maybe that's your perspective now. Like you read passages like this, like Jesus loves you. Jesus is fighting for you. Jesus wants the best for you. Jesus wants you to flourish. And you're thinking, yeah, I've heard that before. This is the time of need. I need you to to answer me, God, the way that I've asked you to answer me. I want you to build my walls taller. I want you to make my walls longer so my city can be bigger and flourish. And in the time of need, God usually tells us more about himself. And what he tells us, that revelation of himself, will almost always surprise us. And method, in other words, how he does it, and the result, what he actually does. So when the Jews say, yeah, God, we've heard that before, that you would live with us, what's the difference this time? It goes back to this section where God is talking about sending himself but it's not himself. (laughs) He's sending God to the earth, but somehow it's not God the Father. And the Jew is thinking, this is nonsense. This makes no sense. For the Christian who looks back, it makes perfect sense. He says, verse 11, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day. What? Everything about the Jewish law says separate yourself from the nations. You're the chosen nation. You're the holy people of God. Don't don't marry the other nations. Don't use the other nations' idols and gods. The Jewish person, even to this day, still has the mindset of the nations are less than us. But what God is saying, the revelation, what what he's telling them about himself is a surprise. And the method and the result are equally mysterious. He says, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day. I will live among you as sent from God. How can this sent person be God and be sent by God? It sounds mysterious. It sounds strange. And the Jewish person who's reading this prophecy probably can't even fathom living in God's presence without some type of protection like Moses. Moses was always the person that spoke to God for the people. But it says in verse 12 that the Lord will once again choose Israel. It says he will inherit them, literally, and the land. He ends the section with, Be still, mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. God was seen as someone who was distant sometimes. In heaven, in, in, in holiness, separated by his goodness, people were sinful as we just confessed. How can we enter into the presence of God the Jews saw God as dangerous. We, we should not cross him or he will judge us. And then some of them did and he actually judged them. But it says that be still, be calm, be at peace because God roused himself or he, he woke up. He stood up off of his throne to come down to us in our time of need. And to this person, it probably makes no sense. So how do we interpret this today? We have a man who is measuring his security, his walls, his protection, the size of his city, to see how well it's doing. It's easy for us in our time of need to do the same. To count on things that we can trust with our eyes, not with what works. And maybe that's money. 
Maybe you've lost your job and you're worried about work. Or maybe it's about this church. Like we, we, don't, we only have 15 people here on Sunday. Maybe we should have 30 people. Maybe we should have 40 people. Maybe it's not big enough. Like the man measuring the walls of his city. We could stop and measure the walls of our church and say, it's not full. We could, we could be measuring our security. How safe we are worried all the time about whether we're going to get sick or whether our friends are going to get sick or whether whether something bad's going to happen. We, We could be worried about the pandemic. We could be worried about coronavirus. We could be measuring our school, our education, worried about our work or lack of work, worried about our kids. Are they going to grow up and be good people? Are they good? How am I going to handle this next semester? Or maybe it's our image. I got to look like I have it together. I got to look successful. I got to look like I have more than other people or that I'm on my right path. What is your wall that you're measuring that you wish was bigger that you think will protect you but won't? Because there's an angel standing behind you talking to you saying God's message to you is probably not going to seem to make sense because you're focused on this thing that needs to be bigger, that needs to be longer, that needs to be more secure. In your time of need, that whatever that's being measured is not going to work the way you wish it will, the way I wish it will. In the time of need, God reveals more about himself to us and that revelation almost never makes sense. It will be a surprise in method and result. What are you measuring? I love this passage because it talks about a coming person that's going to redeem and and save and change the lives of the Jews hundreds of years before Jesus. And it's easy for us to look back in these passages and say, see, God, God, God predicted this. This was a prophecy about Jesus before Jesus. And so I can trust God because the Bible talks about Jesus before Jesus was even born. That's another wall, you see? That's another something other that we're trusting in. We're trusting in proof that God is going to do something. Our trust is not in the wall it's in the fiery flame that's around us that's holding us together that's protecting us it's not the proof that this that jesus was in the bible earlier the proof is in what jesus is doing in us today i don't look at this text and say wow it's talking about jesus 600 years before jesus it must be true i've learned in my own life that i look at my life and I look at the miraculous things that God's doing that make no sense to me. How my struggles turn into me being able to see a different perspective. Or when I don't have money, I start to see how incredibly rich and wealthy I am in the spirit. Or when I start to grumble and I start to complain, I start to realize suddenly that, that wow, I'm really blessed. Or when someone's super annoying and bugs me or is my enemy or wrongs me, 
instead of getting mad at them, somehow, somehow, not on my power, but through the Spirit, God gives me the ability to show compassion and love for them, which I know is not from me. That is how I know that it's real. I can't measure it. I can't point to the Bible and say, that's why I believe. I believe because God is doing it in my life and I can see it. What are you measuring today? And how do you measure it? Is it numbers in a bank account? Is it words from people? Is it statistics on LRT.LT? Whatever it is, whatever you're using to measure whether you're okay or not is insufficient. If it's not the fiery flame of God protecting you and the glory of Him within you, like this city, this, this church, not just ICV, but the church in general, what He's building, what He's building right now that's going to be bigger than anything with walls because of the great number of people and animals He mentions is funny in it as well. This thing that, that the wall of fire of God's going to be around and His glory within is you and me. It's the church. In our time of need, God reveals more of himself to us. And what that means is, is that whatever we face in our life is a way for God to show us something about him. If we're worried, it gives us boldness. If we're fearful, it gives us peace. If we're ungrateful, it gives us joy. It, it's the exact opposite of what we can expect. What we think and that revelation of himself in your time of need, what he shows you about his character in your time of need will almost always surprise you. I know it has for me because how he moves, how his method happens <laughs> is strange. It's unexpected. It's beyond what we can imagine. And so too the results will be. Amen. Today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And the Eucharist is another mysterious thing. But when I think about it, I think about what this passage in Zechariah 2 is saying. That God has come to us to live amongst us. And I know when we take the Eucharist on Zoom, it's a little bit strange because, you know, we usually take it together. But as weird as it is, I think of us sitting around a table and Jesus is there. Imagine it. Imagine Jesus sitting at a table with us, talking with us, laughing with us, us having peace and joy because of his presence. And he looks around the room and he says, I love all you. I, I, I'm here with you. I'm protecting you. I'm giving you the ability that, that, that you thought was impossible to have. We all have different struggles, but that's what the Lord's table is. When, when what we're about to do happened first on the night of the Passover, they were celebrating the Passover, the exit, the exodus out of Egypt. That was their slavery. And they're celebrating this with Jesus. And he says, look, I'm creating a new covenant. And it's not based on law. It's not based on perfection of human beings. It's based on my perfection. It's based on me being God in the flesh among you. Trust in me. Believe in me. 
And the reason why you can trust me, Jesus says, is because I am going to break my body on the cross for you. I'm going to take the punishment. I'm allowing myself to suffer so that you might have glory and the presence of God in you. And he said, my blood is shed. My blood is literally spilt on the ground because of the purity that it, that it brings. Just like a sacrifice in the Old Testament. He's sitting amongst us now. See, it sounds almost, it almost sounds irreverent, but imagine his face on one of these squares on Zoom telling us this. And so we don't take this lightheartedly. We don't take it because that's what we do. It's Sunday and it's church and I'm asking you now, let's take a minute to stop and really reflect on how much God has moved already in our lives through the gospel. And before we take this bread and before we take this cup, we have to take it seriously. So let's take a moment to maybe confess, to thank God for his salvation through Christ. And then we'll take the cup and the bread together. So let's, let's take a short, a short bit. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would prepare us to take this bread and this, this cup as representations of your body and blood broken and shed for us. I pray that we would do this in a way that's honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night of the Passover, Jesus... Jesus, at the supper, presented bread and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat this. Take this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, This wine represents my blood that was shed for you out of my great love. As often as you drink of it, drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the great memorial of the Eucharist in our lives. Thank you for what it represents. Thank you that that we can take it together and point at each other and say, God did this for you. God did this for me. Thank you that you've given us this great grace. God, give us more hope. Give us more faith. Give us more peace. Help us to depend more on each other. Give us more humility. Give us more passion to seek you, to read your word and to be encouraged to serve and to love other people the way you did. Tear down our walls that we're building. Tear down the things that we trust that aren't sufficient, that can't carry the weight. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for Lithuania and Vilnius specifically. We pray that you would be amongst this city. We pray that you'd move mightily, that you would change hearts in miraculous ways, and that when people would cry out to you for help, that you would answer them in ways that are beyond what they can even imagine. I pray that for our city, and I pray this for our church, for everybody on this call right now, regardless of what they're experiencing, regardless of what they feel, regardless of what they think is going to happen or what they wish would happen to help them, God, please move. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for our world. 
our broken, sad world that, that, that tells us what brings life and it brings death. So much confusion and anger and bitterness. There's no hope. There's no love, it seems. There's war and famine and, and brokenness, God, and evil. We pray, God, that your gospel would spread, that people would love each other because you love them. Give us great boldness. Give us courage. God, we pray that there would be a spreading of your hope, of your fire, and your glory. Fill this world with your glory, God. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer as he taught us. It's on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the peace of Christ rule in your hearts this week. Go forth knowing that Christ has died for your sins, risen to glory, and is now at the right hand of the Father representing you and me. He covers your sins. He tells God of your acceptance. And His Holy Spirit gives you the power to live in a way worthy of the gospel. Amen.